All right. Everyone's impressions uh, from last week's event are in. Everyone's reviews are in. The reactions, everything. Let's see you. Let's see what this community has to say about UFC 262. Uh, Connors Kamsok says, If you laugh at Connors uh, leg break, you're not a true mixed martial artist. Uh-huh. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I think I agree. Kind of. With, with certain caveats. Uh, let's see. Uh, that left nutsack... Connor's left nutsack says uh, Connor would have finished Dustin Poirier in the second round. He would have come on strong. Mm-hmm. And what's this? The notorious... Uh, the notorious... Hang on, I'm trying to pass the uh, the handle. It's kind of like really hard to figure out. Oh! Oh, that's Connor himself! Uh, at Notorious MMA. Uh, what's this? A bunch of death threats. Gonna rip your heart out. Gonzo. Uh, a, a picture of Dustin's family. His uh, his his daughter. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I understand. I understand the reaction. I guess it's just all the meds, the adrenaline, the immense pressure of being. Uh, the the wealthiest uh, MMA fighter in all of existence. Yeah, I, I can get that. I can understand uh, throwing out death threats, uh, directing death threats at someone else's family over breaking your own ankle in a fight. Yeah, sure. Happens to everybody. Anyway, uh Welcome to Tengri Dome, episode 15. This is your host, Iggy. Uh, well, that was something, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, everyone got so serious about this whole th- uh, this whole thing, especially Connor fans. And, uh, I mean, I guess I could do a really, like, a really measured and analytical and uh, serious Tengri Dome podcast uh, and episode like I always do where I cover like really like big brain, big thinky, big brainy concepts like uh, the last episode I've done with Conor Rebush about personalities and fighting styles, uh, like MMA economics. But uh, today I'm not really in the mood. Uh, today I'm here to gush about Dustin Poirier's performance and uh, talk about how he would have totally, completely annihilated Connor if the fight were to continue on. And uh, if you have eyes, you would understand that. And uh, many Connor fans, of course, do not. Many Connor fans, of course, also do not. Uh, they do not possess higher brain functions. Uh, like uh, I hope the listeners of this podcast do. Uh, of this podcast, I'm sorry. Uh, it's a, it's a second language, as I've uh, stated many times, and uh, something that uh, uh, one of the Connor fans that I have to I've had to interact with uh, the other day uh, didn't really, you know, didn't, he doesn't take it didn't take it as an excuse. Like uh, he, the the man did not accept any excuses, much like uh, Connor himself never makes any excuses and doesn't accept excuses. 
Like uh, I think he was like, if you think fighting is so easy, why don't you get in with your nine names in there and just prove it to everyone? And uh, he said this about my comments about uh, Sean O'Malley and uh, his performance against Chris Moutinho, where I basically said that Sean O'Malley is useless. And to this I would answer, I mean, if Sean O'Malley, uh, if Sean O'Malley fought what is essentially a heavy bag and managed to allegedly break both of his hands, uh, or at least create some kind of injury, or there's some kind of issue with his hands, and not only his hands, but also his uh, right foot, and his uh, left uh, tibia, I think, or was it thigh? I think it was tibia. So, I don't think I'm really needed uh, there in the octagon to prove some kind of point. Shana Malley did it him by himself, for himself. <laughs> anyway, uh, everyone is so serious about this whole thing. Everyone is just uh, uh, trying to... Trying to, especially the Conor fans, once again, are trying to remind everyone that uh, MMA is about respect, it's about honor, and it's about uh, growing as a martial artist, uh, yada, yada, yada. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think some levity is definitely warranted in such grim times. Gotta take some weight off the old legs every once in a while, know what I mean? <laughs> like, I mean... I mean, sure, uh, mocking McGregor is kind of getting uh, a little bit too easy. Uh, uh, it's honestly kind of low, I admit, especially when the man's status as an elite fighter is essentially on its legs, on its uh, last legs. <laughs> uh, but I'm willing, I'm willing to believe there is some fire still left in that man's soul. He just needs a, a spark to reignite it. I hope he'll be able to rediscover some of that old magic once he recovers. Break a leg, Connor. The fans are with you till the end. We're on that train until all the wheels fall off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, don't don't uh, get me wrong. I, I'm also a fellow uh, fan of Connor McGregor. I mean, everyone, anyone who follows this sport uh, to any degree is uh, likely to be a Conor fan because uh, the man is such a phenom. The man is such a special fighter. Like, uh, I, I always especially enjoyed Conor for his dry wit. Like, you know, dry like a crispy pork crackling. Dry like the sound of a knife scraping across that lovely brown crust. Dry like the sound of his... Uh, dry like the sound his ankle made when it snapped. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm basically just uh, writing descriptive prose about the man's injury here, but I mean, as any self-hating niche uh, media person, I aspire to become a novelist someday, rather pathetically. But uh, as uh, Connor has pointed out in the previous episode, small dick sport, small dick job. But uh, all I need right now is, I guess, it's is just uh, a title and... Uh, Connor, that is Connor Rebush of uh, Heavy Hands, suggested uh, a title for the upcoming book, my upcoming book about uh, Connor McGregor, uh, Hobbled but Not Humbled, the Connor McGregor story. I mean, it's it's. Um, I guess it's snappy, but I think we can do better. I think we 
I think a man of his stature, a man of Connor's stature, a high achieving man deserves uh, some kind of a, a more elaborate title for his biography, I guess. And so my suggestion was A Pebble in My Shoe, The Meteoric Rise and the Sudden and Literal Fall of One Notorious Conor McGregor. I like it, but... Uh, I mean, I could see how how one would uh, consider this title a bit too lengthy. So my second suggestion was uh, McGregor, Sticks and Stones, and, of course, the hotly anticipated sequel... Okay, it turns out words can hurt me too. <laughs> and um, Zane, Zane Simon chimed in with uh, his pro uh, proposals. A wild Irish rose and fell back to earth. The two breakfast club food. To which I responded, Happy Feet 3. And uh, Simon quickly followed up with, My left foot 2, the legend continues. I mean, uh, all these titles are are great. I especially liked another suggestion from one of uh, one of the, I guess, heavy hands listeners. Footloose two, Footlooser. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's. Uh, uh, I mean, if it were a movie. Uh, and, I mean, since uh, the outcome of the fight was so sudden, kind of like uh, an M. Night Shyamalan twist, I'd, say, I'd also suggest making a movie about the, the, whole, the whole occurrence uh, and uh, call it Glass 2. And uh, the reviews would be Shatters the Boundaries of Your Imagination. The tagline should be The movie will shatter the boundaries of your imagination. Topple the long-established pillars. I mean, uh, compared to the previous fight, I guess it was a sort of anticlimactic, so I could see how one would, uh, how uh, a film critic would review it and say that, uh, it, that, it, that it doesn't quite measure up to, to the previous entries in the series, uh, that it fails to stand on its own two feet. So. <laughs> I mean, I... Uh, Fuck it. I guess enough uh, arsing around. I've had my, I've had my fun with it. The whole thing. Just uh, this is, in case you hadn't noticed, I uh, to to go full on sincerity mode and just uh, uh, to provide a bit of a disclaimer. I am not a fan of Conor McGregor. In case you hadn't noticed, uh, in fact, I despise Conor McGregor. Not, I mean. I don't really despise him per se, but I just, I just find him distasteful, and uh, I think that everything he represents represents everything that is wrong with uh, this whole industry, and with the way, and and especially like harmful and uh, destructive way of looking at the world, because, uh, but I mean. We'll get into all that later. Uh, I've got I've got quite a quite a few words to say about uh, Conor McGregor's behavior outside the cage and uh, in the build-up to this fight. So let's uh, get to analysis, shall we? And starting with the main event, and uh, to get uh, this right out of the um, one another disclaimer, I also do not think that uh, Conor McGregor would have had any chance 
of looking good after that round. Uh, I think two of the judges scored this uh, round uh, a 10-8. I'd score it a 10-7 because Conor McGregor was well on his way to getting finished anyway. Even without uh, Dustin forcing him to stand up. I'm pretty sure that Dustin would have just teed off on him and wobbled him and uh, did even more damage than he was able to do on the ground. Dustin essentially habibed Connor. I'm sure Connor Connor had to relieve some fairly unpleasant memories uh, regarding that uh, fight that that he's had. Also, incidentally, a fight in which he also uh, uh, exhibited... Rather taste, uh, rather tasteless behavior. But uh, many people were spe- speculating, like, what sort of adjustments Connor can make, what sort of immediate, uh, really quick things and quick and effective things, uh, most importantly, Connor can add to his uh, to his game plan to make it more effective. And, uh, of course, following the rule of the Occam's razor, the quickest and the most easiest, and uh, by extension the most surface-level adjustment Connor could have made was uh, add leg kicks. And this is what he did. And this is uh, what caused... This is is what caused his defeat (laughs) in the end, essentially. (laughs) Uh, Zach Makovsky in the preview... uh, uh, stumbled, uh, well, not exactly stumbled. Uh, pointed out that uh, one of the easiest, uh, one of the easiest adaptations that Connor could make was uh, to force out uh, subpar entries from Dustin Poirier and make him make Dustin Poirier chase him. Basically, do the uh, I suppose early Connor sort of counterpunching performance. The Cage Warriors, Connor, but, I mean, that was a a very long time ago. It's a good idea, but Connor didn't execute it. And anyway, Dustin Poirier didn't really exhibit any sort of, like, concern about the counters. Basically, he had Connor's timing down pat, and uh, didn't really feel any threat from Connor. It looked like he just essentially lost all respect for Connor, not only as a person, but also as a fighter. And it was evident in the cage by the way Dustin just basically uh, went on the front foot after the initial hurdle with the leg kicks and boxed Connor up. I mean, it was a very, it was a rather short exchange. It was only a single exchange, but nonetheless, that exchange forced Connor to initiate grappling, which is especially funny in. Uh, Retrospect, considering that Connor was the one that came out with all this bullshit about Dustin Poirier being a coward or a panic wrestler or whatever, and that he doesn't count submissions as a loss, which doesn't really explain why Connor decided to jump on a guillotine and uh, a, a rather shitty guillotine, I must add. Like, uh, Connor, it was kind of like a really classic MMA guillotine. And uh, if you wanna wanna want a breakdown on how guillotines should be performed in MMA, I'd, I'd suggest you watch uh, uh, and read breakdowns from uh, our the fight site's very own very own Ben Cohn, and uh, he talks about how to to 
Finnish proper guillotines in his breakdowns. But essentially, it it was like Conor just basically went a low elbow guillotine, went for a low elbow guillotine, and kind of like just sort of uh, leaned back on it, just kind of assuming that doing this motion would be uh, would provide sufficient pressure on Dustin's neck. It didn't, and also Dustin was able to elevate, elevate himself, which is something that uh, uh, Conor fanboys were crying about uh, in the follow-up. And just uh, absurd amounts of co, uh, sorry, absurd amounts of cope, just ridiculous amounts of cope. And just uh, ev- people across the globe uh, suffering from a copium <laughs> overdose. But anyway. I guess uh I mean I guess Connor could have could have could have gone high elbow or took an angle on it or just went arm in guillotine but uh, he wasn't really he it didn't really close uh, the guard immediately on the guillotine and uh, didn't really try to retain his guard and he was trying to do like he, he was trying to do open guard stuff but just all all it uh, the only thing it did was uh, let Dustin uh, elo- like posture posture up and uh, ground and pound his face off, and uh, I mean D- Dustin basically compromised Connor's entire posture anyway in the first place, and uh, further compromised it by elevating his level, which is also uh, like people were talking about how he cheated by using toes in the cage by uh, escape a submission. That's not in the rules, first of all. And second of all, uh, the guillotine wasn't that deep in the first place anyway. And also, it's it was just such a dumb move. I, I, I'm, I was very perplexed. I mean, first of all, I was very amused uh, when I was watching the fight. But then I was... But in retrospect, I'm very perplexed by this adaptation, if you can call it that. And uh, in the aftermath, John Kavanagh came out saying that this is uh, the, the the guillotine was uh, was what they drilled were, what was the move they drilled extensively in fight camp, banking on it uh, to scare away, uh, to curtail Dustin Poirier's takedown attempts, and it's just what, like what the fuck are you talking about, John Kavanagh? Connor had no real problem. Wall walking his way from under Dustin Poirier when Dustin Poirier landed that takedown in the second fight. The way you dissuade takedowns is you fight those takedowns and just don't get taken down. What are you talking about? I mean, I guess it's sort of impressive that Connor just was able to get to this level with a, with a camp like this, with a coach like this, that. Uh, that actively makes him worse, and John Kavanaugh was also. I, I'm, this is going to be very chaotic because this is uh, this is unscripted. I'm just recording a short impromptu thing, just listing all the things that come into my mind. So bear with me. But look at uh, Straight Blast Jim. Let's uh, go over Straight Blast Jim and its history. Like it doesn't really have anyone else aside from Connor, and uh, its its fighters have a history of just plateauing really hard and never developing anything like never developing any sort of coherent process 
like it's especially evident in Artyom Lobov, who was kind of like a T-Rex armed uh, Walmart version of Connor. That that's just such a bizarre way to approach things. It doesn't teach people fundamentals, and if you look at Connor himself, I mean, not disregarding all the dumb shit that Kavanaugh has said over the years about uh, Ben Shapiro being the heavyweight champion of the world or whatever, or all the one twos being the most commonly thrown combination, and which makes it, which apparently makes it extremely ineffective as a combination when people like Max Holloway exist. But just look at uh, looking at the way Connor's career developed. It's very interesting. And on the previews for this fight, I I I pointed out that I drew a parallel uh between Conor McGregor and Calvin Cater and it's uh, on surface on the surface it seems like a really bizarre parallel, but uh, bear with me for a moment. Calvin Cater spent the vast majority of his career fighting on the regionals. And when you fight in the regionals, it's quite likely that you're not going to meet uh, opponents that are quite on your level, if you're the level of talent that someone like Cater or Conor McGregor is. The difference is that Conor McGregor didn't spend as much time fighting on the regionals, unlike Cater, and Cater uh, developed a sort of, like, he... Initially, Cater was developing a really basic, you know, basic fundamental boxing style that he still utilizes, but he fell into a really, really narrow niche while fighting on the regionals. And he brought that style, which he developed fighting on the regionals, into the UFC, and uh, we saw the limitations of it. Calvin Cater doesn't think about Ringcroft. Calvin Cater doesn't kick a lot. And uh, Calvin Cater doesn't really mix things up the way someone like Dustin Paul you would. And if he were more thoughtful about his ring positioning and everything else, he'd have been much more successful. And I'd say a genuine championship threat. Let's look at Conor McGregor. Uh, if you've read, and if you saw his early fights, and if you've read the... Jack Slackberg, notorious, he talks about, and it's evident in the way Connor fought, uh, how Connor was basically extremely raw early on, which is not surprising, but it did look like Connor was sort of throwing shit at a wall and trying to see what sticks. He was trying to figure out what works. He knew he has power, and so early on he was this wild man brawler. Then he realized that he has an eye for the counter, and that he hits hard as fuck. Combine these two. What are the more? What are the most uh, efficient ways of getting a finish? The most surefire ways of getting a finish. It's uh, creating collisions, that is countering, and attrition. And so early on, he decided to become this backward counterpuncher, and he in his early fights, you could see him going for that Anderson Silva style of fighting where he just waited on the counter and blasted you out. And it worked because he was fighting uh, fighting on the regionals and uh, there were lots of fighters with uh, not uh, that not very nuanced games, not uh, very nuanced... Uh, th the fighters weren't able to 
cross that distance in a safe and intelligent way. And as such, it worked. Then he added the attritional damage. The attritional damage dealers, which were his kicks. And so, really, McGregor's style developed as this, like, it developed into this really narrow mold as well. Because Conor McGregor lives and dies by the southpaw double attack and just the open stance matchup dynamics. Like, kicking into the open side, throwing lots of uh, lead left hands and uh, leaning over his hips as a, as a way of sort of preventing being taken down, having his hips as far away as as far away from his opponent as possible. And as well as his stance that facilitates his uh, style of counter-punching, which is just hop back the, the, the well, that left. And uh, doesn't really jab a lot. And uh, the moment, and so the moment he faced Dustin Poirier, who, uh, who is a fellow Southpaw, but a very different style of southpaw, one that utilizes fundamental lead hand boxing. Basically, he was uh, left without the tools that made him so effective uh, against orthodox opponents. And he tried to bring, and I pr predicted that uh, one of the adjustments that Conor could make was uh, go for wheel kicks, like he did against uh, Dennis Siva. But the problem is that Dennis Siva was like five foot tall. And so in this case, Connor essentially did strike at uh, where Dennis Seaver's head would have been. <laughs> uh, it's just uh, he's struck to the body of Dustin Poirier, trying to utilize the uh, wheel kicks as a, as a cage-cutting tool. But the problem was Dustin Poirier, uh, first of all, he defended those kicks fairly well. And second of all, well, Dustin Poirier wasn't really, like, wasn't really gonna hang out on the on the back foot in this case in this fight, and uh, I really like, I really enjoy that because uh, my idea of an of an ideal Dustin Poirier performance in this fight would be to basically do the same things uh, as he did in the second fight, but add a st strategic element to them, and uh, something like maybe going in the front foot this time, which he did, as. Uh, as soon as he felt that Kona uh, is no longer essentially a threat on the feet. But, yeah, and his shot selection was really great. Just, uh, the, he got, he adjusted to the kicks, caught a couple of kicks, uh, landed a couple of punches off the caught kick, and then just basically shifted into range and started uh, boxing Kona's face off. Connected with many excellent 2-3s with... Uh, and he like especially the uh, exchange that led to the to Connor initiating grappling was just gorgeous. Zero entries without a double jab. Everything, almost everything, was behind a double jab. Feet under him, beautiful stance. Double jabbing into range. Moving your head off the center line from the slot, from the center line slot, and uh, striking with the rear hand hooking off the rear hand just beautiful just wonderful stuff but then yeah and uh before that corner was uh the sole moment of success for corner was basically the leg kicks and many people were talking about how they were especially joe rogan was uh, raving about how the kicks were hurting dustin Poirier, and uh i just couldn't help but chuckle because 
Need I remind you? Dustin Poirier went through four rounds with just of Justin Gaethje trying to amputate his lead leg. I'd say the man is accustomed to getting his leg kicked up. It's uh, not really that much of a concern. And also that Jim Miller fight, which in which incidentally Jim Miller, funnily enough, was way more effective with his kicks, unlike Connor. But yeah, I would. Many people are like, what what caused this break? What's the, like a freak injury? And uh, uh, his uh, the, his camp came out saying that it was a pre-existing issue, and that he, there was a micro fracture in training. And I I could see that. I could see that happening, seeing as Conor McGregor is the type of guy who just, who's just so convinced that he's different, that he's built different, that he's a completely unique animal, that he went full hog on hard, on the bag or on the pads, really hard, drilling the kicks. And uh, the problem with that is uh, the real way to drill kicks for a fight I mean, I guess initially you would want to kind of sort of like get a feel for the form. And uh, Conor McGregor, it's not like Conor McGregor never threw leg kicks. The problem is that like in that Nate Diaz fight, he threw tons of leg kicks and ended up having to walk out of the fight on crutches. So that's already a sort of a red flag. And uh, really the way you just you, you train proper kicks and train landing kicks on your opponent is inspiring trying to learn proper placement and proper timing of certain proper setups. And in this fight, it was just basically like the Nate Diaz fight. Naked, hard low kicks out of the gate without paying attention to the placement or anything. Just tried to blast the kicks, trying to thinking that blasting the kicks is the same as blasting his le- left hand. It's just instant win. And it's not. Neither is the left hand, as it turned out. And I suppose this... Uh, but, I mean, my... Even even without the injury, taking into account his uh, previous experience, low-kicking so, so much and so hard, when you kick so often and without pay, really paying attention to where you land, and Connor did, did land... What's funny is that he didn't le- land the calf kicks... He didn't go for calf kicks. He was trying to land uh, on the thigh, but he connected multiple times really hard on the like just the part of the thigh that's closer to the knee, which is a really hard part of your leg, needless to say. And uh, Dustin was saying something about uh, checking the kick, and that's I, I'm not convinced because the sequence in which he points out he just connected with the with his with his foot basically with the toes and the uh the um what's the metacarpal but for for the foot anyway he just connected with the middle part of his foot it wasn't really the ankle uh, or the lower part of his shin there weren't really any shin on shin contacts in this fight anyway and corner sort of connected on the on the elbow a couple times and there was uh before I think it was before he got taken down. He landed. He may have landed just slightly below the knee with one of the kicks. But either way, bottom line, it's the accumulative damage that led to the leg break, not a single individual sequence in the fight. Basically, essentially, 
Connor broke his own ankle. That's the end of it. <laughs> and uh, it's... Uh, it's a li- I, it kind of came out bleating about how it's uh, an illegitimate win. And uh, I have to point out to you, Connor, to you personally, that uh, when your limb breaks or you have an injury and you can't continue, it's a TKO. Sorry. But I mean, if I could be sorry, I'd say sorry, but I'm not. (laughs) The main prediction for this fight was that uh, Connor is going to... uh, Ed wrote an article on how Connor could use shoulder strikes to set up a takedown, the way John Jones did in his prime, but uh, he didn't do that. He took down himself. And uh, that led to the horrendous, relentless ground and pound landed by Dustin Poirier, to which Conor responded by cheating, as he is wont to do, and uh, grabbed Dustin's glove and Dustin sort of to to grab grab Dustin's glove and uh, tried to upkick Dustin's face off, and uh, Dustin responded by just. By just letting Connor stand up, and uh, uh, at first I, I thought that Dustin uh, knocked Connor down with a with a left straight, but uh, then I realized that Connor just basically toppled over by just taking an awkward step. But I, I wouldn't say it was an awkward step per se; it was his usual backstepping uh, type thing, uh, the move he does before trying to set up the his uh, left hand. And uh, he just took a step and fell over. And his uh, the lower half of his shin, the lower part of his shin snapped in half. <sighs> really short, really short fight. And uh, I mean, I guess uh, I could, I, you could say I'm sort of bummed that Connor got his, got this excuse that uh, his fans are now going to latch on to, a legitimate win and all that. And... Uh, and uh, but nonetheless, it was still a really fun performance from Dustin. Still a really fun fight. Uh, Connor connected with some left hands there, but I, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just seeing something that isn't there. But I uh, I didn't see the same snap, the same timing, the same speediness, the same speediness in uh, uh, Connor's counters and Connor's strikes, his punching specifically. The leg kicks were hard, but badly placed. Uh, I mean... Uh, what can you say? I guess to go back to the point I was trying to make with uh, the uh, hyper-specializing thing, the over-specialization... Uh, hang on, I'm going to try to nail this word of a specialization that Connor exhibited for the last for the large part of his career is that uh, in to contrast him with Dustin Poirier Dustin Poirier really just developed a fundamental game a fundamental boxing game and so it's kind of like the contrasting development 
of uh, let's contrast the development of Kona and Dustin. Kona kept trying to put together a game that a coherent game that makes sense, that's built around the specific attributes and the specific natural advantages that he has. It's kind of really reminiscent of Tony Ferguson in a sense, even though Tony Ferguson Tony Ferguson is a completely different fighter conceptually. It's the concept is still the same. Meanwhile, Dustin Poirier, starting out as a wildman brawler, much like Connor was in his early days, in his very early days, uh, faced steeper and steeper opposition and kept growing and kept learning the, these fundamentals. Kept learning how to curtail his wilder tendencies and become a more disciplined fighter, a more nuanced fighter. And we see this paying dividends right now. Dustin still has... I mean, I guess... Dustin in uh, some of some of the more recent fights had his moments of... Uh, where he put himself in danger, but nonetheless, in this fight, you could see the difference that, that learning fundamentals makes and uh, staying disciplined. Staying disciplined and sticking to the basics employing them in an efficient way in uh in a way that that isn't wasteful that isn't just gimmicky you know there were some shifts but they were well timed and they were really short and Dustin was really disciplined on them say for i guess maybe one entry out of what like four that's all he needed, really. So, yeah. I think it's now... I mean, I was really hesitant about uh, just discounting and writing Connor off in the build-up to this fight. But I think now it's really safe to say that Dustin is just playing a better, a better fighter now. And uh, I'd say that uh, while Connor was away from 2016 onwards fighting like once per two years at best uh, Dustin spent all that time fighting a very steep opposition and improving and growing and uh, putting imme an immense amount of amount of effort into uh, becoming a better fighter and we saw that pay off but that's about the extent of what you can say about uh, this fighter. I mean, I guess you you could gush about the individual tactics that Dustin employed, and I uh, that I would I'm pretty sure that uh, Sram is going to do that on the upcoming MMA podcast. But uh, I guess I pointed out the overall uh, how I feel overall about Dustin's performance, technique wise, really lovely stuff. Uh, Especially with ground and pound, really, the really like solid, solid, excellent ground and pound where he created space, smothered, uh, took that space away when needed, just uh, landed really, really damaging strikes. Just great, and the shot selection on the feet was excellent as well. I guess the only gripe I'd ha I'd have is that maybe he could have slotted in some body punches because we still. Uh, we still never really saw anyone uh, go to Connor's body all that much, which is especially weird since uh, Connor always suffered from 
like uh, from uh, gas tank issues, which is especially like this makes his approach in this fight even funnier. Like with the way he just started recklessly throwing these extremely hard energy intensive kicks right off the bat over and over again when he's the one that gasses past the, the first round and past the second round. Just bizarre. But I guess it, you can't talk about this fight without touching upon on all the out of the cage antics that 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 Connor did. Uh, it's what can I say? It's just tasteless. It's uh, I joked that it's Connor trying to do the uh, Bugs Bunny. Forgive me, Lord, for what I'm about to do, but I gotta b go back to the old me. That meme. <laughs> but this just feels so... First of all, it felt so forced. Just so incredibly forced and fake and then just reeked of desperation. And uh, then it just turned... Then it just became dark. Connor th just threatening to murder Dustin in the cage and then ranting like a villain in a cartoon in a superhero movie or or a comic book where he's been defeated and he's just ranting like this isn't this isn't the end spider-man doing the finger doing uh, finger guns pointing finger guns at his own head and just pointing them pointing at poor yelling shit about uh, dustin's wife posting that shit on social media and how uh, Jolie Poirier is, uh, is in Connor's DMs. I would like to get really in-depth with it. Just sort of break it down and deconstruct the myth of Conor McGregor. But I'm not in the mood today. Maybe later. Maybe I'll make an, uh, an in-depth episode. The problem with that is that I don't want to do the, the, the fucking mind smash thing of analyzing Connor's body language and all that. I assure you that's not my intention. I was just I'm just sick of the perception that Connor has in this fan base and the uh the, the influence that he exhibits uh that he enjoys the influence that he enforces over the MMA community and the sport uh in general. Especially uh, Hacks wrote a thread about it on Twitter, but I've also expressed that sentiment in that I've also expressed it on the alternate commentary when me and Sriam were doing alternate commentary for the fight. In that, just the way he treats his partner in life, D, like the mother of his son, the mother of his child, it's really alienating to me, and he's just sort of. His whole persona seems to harken back to those, all those stereotypes that uh, really insecure, insecure guys on the internet uh, seem to um, seem to follow and exhibit uh, and just gravitate towards. In that, oh, a high achieving man is uh, has needs, and that he he's entitled to some stuff. That uh, that uh, Connor is D's breadwinner, and that's why he can act this way, and uh, that's why he can rub the fact that he sleeps around in his uh, in his partner's face. 
Like this is this is what makes them manly. If you want to be manly, and and if you want to be a breadwinner, or whatever, then by all means, win the bread, win all the bread. Do it. Provide for your family. It's just that you don't have to be a, such a fucking dickhead about it as well. It's just the weakest shit in the world. Being a man doesn't mean just uh, throwing money uh, right and left and uh, f fucking every girl you see and then posting about it on social media. It's about responsibility. And I've yet to see Connor exhibit any real responsibility any uh, I've yet I'm yet to see Connor behave the way a real man would that's what I think and beyond that the very idea of uh, of a high achieving man the breadwinner having needs like if you actually go back and look like at, uh, at ancient societies and stuff, infidelity was punished by getting your fucking cock and balls chopped off. The fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Even if you are all about having a traditional like household and uh, a trad wife or whatever, the woman is the heart of the household. It's her domain. It's her domain. This is where she's fucking... Uh, I don't know, the fucking... The fucking overlord of the place. And uh, insulting your woman like this, just from many points of view, not even the quote-unquote woke point of view, in that... Being a dickhead towards women is uh, makes you a fucking dickhead. I don't think it's such a controversial or, or woke statement. It's your fucking wife, man. The fuck are you doing? Like she's been there with Connor from the very beginning, back when he was uh, a random lower middle class kid, essentially. That, uh, that just wasn't going forward anywhere in life. And she's still stuck with him. Stuck with him while he was pursuing this silly, insane dream of becoming a champion. And this is how he responds. Beyond the irony of a man who hasn't had the same mileage that Dustin Poirier had... Uh, just having his own body fail him in such a way, there is also a certain dichotomy in how Dustin Poirier treats his wife and the sort of relationship they have, which Connor tried, incidentally tried to make fun of, uh, like your wife's your husband, making fun of Dustin Poirier having a wonderful relationship with his wife and his wife being immensely supportive, uh, incredibly supportive of him. Just the only thing that I, I, I get from this is, I don't know, envy? I don't know what this is. Just doesn't make sense to me. 
yeah, just grim stuff. Uh, this is why I hate Connor hate uh, fight weeks, because uh, inevitably, just I mean I guess I could just do a fight breakdown and that would be it and just leave it at that. Talk about how they fought. Talk about uh, Connor as a fighter. Could talk about the techniques they are, they employed, the strategies. But I, I, it would feel intellectually dishonest for me to not touch upon it and to n n not call it out for what it is. Just horrendous behavior. And this is and the type of people Connor brought in with his antics actively makes this fan base that much more toxic. And we don't really need any more toxicity in this fandom, you know? It's uh, horrendous as it is. And now we're in now we're opening the doors for misogynists, racists and islamophobes. Uh Every shape of bigot is welcome in this fandom, and uh, Connor is not the only fighter who just endorses this stuff, but uh, he's certainly the most prominent. Not the race stuff, maybe, even though he did say some fairly racially charged stuff, did really, like, hurl racially charged race-baiting insults at Habib, but uh, the type of person he kind of invites in this fandom, into this fandom, is... Uh, your typical, like, insecure male who just uh, can't help but can't stop thinking about the days when men were hunter-gatherers or just or breadwinners or paterfamilias or whatever. Uh, basically the type of person who watched Fight Club once and then decided that uh, everything that was stated and shown in the Fight Club should be taken at face value. This is the type of person he brought into the sport. But anyway, we could talk about it for for a long time. And I think, in fact, I'm going to do it. In fact, I'm going to do an actual episode on the impact of Conor McGregor. Quote, unquote. Uh, anyway, enough of this. I'm sick of this bullshit for today. Not in the mood. What else was on the card? It wasn't really like a, a really deep card. Because Conor cards are always... Cards headlined by Connor are always extremely top-heavy because that's just that's how UFC operates. And I think it was Connor who actually stated that he's not going to fight on any cards where other fighters out besides him and his opponent are gonna get pay-per-view points. And as such, they're always going to be less. Like, I mean, it doesn't excuse the card being so top-heavy because uh, I don't think someone like Davison Figueredo ever got pay-per-view points in his career when he was champion or, or any of the bantamweights for that matter but fuck it um, Gilbert Burns was fun Gilbert Burns had uh, a really fun performance against Wonderboy really fun fight It's uh, Ed was right as he as he tends to be in that Gilbert Burns wrestled Wonderboy's ass off uh, it's a really fun fight in that we both saw uh, both fighters have success. Uh, Wonderboy certainly had his moments of success on the feet, but uh, Gilbert Burns washed him on the ground. And Gilbert Burns really employed 
really nice tactics just mixing to get mixing just the basics just true hooftian style of fighting mixing the martial arts really excellent stuff and uh, i'm glad that recently we're seeing more and more of that and when fighters just uh, mix things up in a way that makes sense and uh, that leads to, to them winning in a fairly convincing fashion this is just this is why i watch this sport <laughs> And the rest of the cards wasn't wasn't all that hot. <laughs> Gotta tell you, wasn't all that hot. You can basically watch three fights: the main event, Gilbert Burns Wonder Boy, and uh, Ilya Tapuria dusting Ryan Hall uh, within within a round. Ryan Hall came out throwing throwing out even more Mimi stuff than he usually does, and ended up getting pounded out on the ground. Oh, and uh, Taito Iwasa finally fucking knocked Greg Hardy's stupid fucking block off, uh, which uh, immediately raised Taito Iwasa in my eyes as uh, as a fighter and as a person. Still think he's shit, but it's heavyweight, and he dusted Greg Hardy, knocked his fucking face off. You're fine in my books, Taito Iwasa. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Finally, it happened. <laughs> uh... Uh, Irina Aldana knocked out uh, Yana Kunitskaya, Yana Kunitskaya rather in Russian, but um, it was a really, really Yana Kunitskaya uh, Kunitska employed this like holy hole mask style of just kiaing, like hi and just uh, throwing kicks at there, just boxing the air in front of her, and uh, Irina Aldana timed caught her with a really well placed and well timed left hook. No joke. Unironically, excellent left hook. Really tight, really good mechanics, excellent timing on it, and uh, pounded out Yana Kunitska to an early finish. Oh, and by the way, uh, there's a listener of mine, uh, of mine, a patron supporter of uh, the fight side, Judica. Uh, uh, Judica, if you want to learn, he's currently in the process of learning how to throw left hooks. Judy, if you want to learn how to throw good left hooks, and ironically, watch at uh, watch at Aldana's left hook. I'm not even joking right now. It's a genuinely good hook. Uh, what else? Sean O'Malley looked like dog shit against uh, Chris Moutinho. Essentially, a heavy back brought in for Sean O'Malley to have a showcase performance. Sean O'Malley like simultaneously managed to have a showcase performance and expose himself. It's really bizarre. It's insane. I do not understand how it happened. Chris Moutinho started throwing naked low kicks, had success, first of all, which is already damning, uh, started throwing these leaping, shifting left hooks, managed to attack Sean O'Malley multiple times, uh, and managed to press Sean O'Malley to the cage with no footwork. He wasn't employing any he wasn't employing any ring-cutting tactics. He wasn't really jabbing into range. He didn't double-jab into range. He just walked in a straight line. He didn't even move his head. Sean O'Malley connected with, like, 250 strikes to the head. To the head. First of all, still wasn't... Be, like, had Chris Moutinho in trouble multiple times, didn't finish him. It was, like, the, the, Herb, Dean's, the Herb Dean stoppage was essentially a damage control stoppage. <laughs> he basically gifted this knockout to Sean O'Malley. Uh, and apparently Sean O'Malley also needs 
x-rays on essentially his entire skeleton from this fight, despite being the one who landed all the damage. It's just embarrassing. Yeah, the moment uh, Sean O'Malley gets into the faces uh, a top 10 opponent or even a top 15 opponent uh, I'm sorry Sean you're not it he's gonna get blasted out of there uh, Max Griffin versus Carlos Condit was a sad old man fight Michelle Pereira versus Nico Price I zoned out just watched porn instead of watching this fight uh, Elia Tapuria already said everything I needed to say uh, Packwatch, Reboza, Ryan Hall, rest in piss for not developing a proper proper MMA game, a proper process for employing BJJ in MMA. You can employ the type of game Ryan Hall uses. You can, you absolutely can. It's going to be really effective and it's going to look really fun. Just have to have everything else for it to work. You have to know how to wrestle and how to strike, at least basically. At least on a basic level. Ryan Hall, I guess now that he's more of an experiment rather than a contender or a prospect, whatever, I guess I'll sort of dial down my hatred of him. It's not a personal hatred. It's more of a... I hate the concept of how he fights more so than the person. Rico's uh, Duplessis was uh, defeated Trevon Giles by a really janky, fucking ugliest looking right hand I've ever seen. Really bizarre style. Just also a dog shit fight. Like, they both looked like absolute ass. The fight was ass. It was the worst thing I've ever seen. This is my verdict for the fight. Also, Duplessis, possible racist. Not only possible. Not only possible, but also very likely. Yeah, because he's South African, he's white, and he constantly talks about how he's going to become the first real African champion and how he's going to bring the belt to the real Africa because he actually lives in there. Uh, just... Uh, I can't catch a break with this sport. I just can't. Uh. Jennifer Meyer defeated Jessica. I didn't watch that one. Brad Tavares uh, did his job against Omari uh, Ahmedov. That's about the extent of what I can say about that fight. Brad Tavares is a professional fighter. And uh, Jalgas Jumagulov uh, submitted Jerome Rivera. I missed that one. I, I think I took a nap uh, or something. Yeah, so that that was UFC 264. Uh, not too great, not too terrible. The outcomes is what elevated it in my eyes because uh, Gilbert Burns uh, defeated Stephen Thompson in a really fun way. Dustin Poirier, of course, defeated, defeated Conor McGregor. Greg Hardy got knocked out. Ryan Hall got shit-stomped. And Sean O'Malley looked like shit. Uh, it was a good day. In the words of the Prophet Ice Cube, uh, I guess that day was a good day. <laughs> Didn't even need to use my AK. Uh, but anyway, what can I say? Uh, it was a Conor McGregor fight week, alright. And the finish is going to 
lend us many hours and many days of uh, hot takes and uh, uh, very important opinions from uh, very educated people, very intellectual people. Very much looking forward to it all. All right, uh, check out our Patreon. We've got uh, we, me and Sriram recorded alternate commentary for the uh, for the Tapuria fight for Gilbert Burns and uh, versus uh, Gilbert Burns for versus uh, Wonder Boy and uh, the main event as well. It was uh, good fun. Uh, the only problem was that Sriram, as always, was very quiet, and I am as always very loud. But uh, I mean. <laughs> What are you going to do? <laughs> uh, talk to Ed about the audio issues, not to me. I always have excellent audio quality. You don't complain about my audio quality. That's that's all I ask of you. Um, Ed's currently taking a bit of a break this week. Well-deserved, I'd say. Very well-deserved. Uh, so it's, there's not going to be any like uh, bad calls or... Uh, resume reviews from him this week but if you hadn't checked them out subscribe to our Patreon and check them out, it's 3 bucks per month almost 300 pieces of content, it's videos, video breakdowns alternate commentary uh, ads, resume reviews uh, all that stuff so uh, and for 5 bucks you can also join our Discord where you can ask me questions and ask everyone questions, I'm very active in there all of our stuff uh, pops in every once in a while, so you can ask them. Uh, if you have any questions about combat sports, that is, or object permanence. <laughs> this is the sort of questions I sometimes have to answer. And if your question is particularly interesting, I'm going to make a Tengridom episode uh, designed specifically to answer it in depth, which is something that I did with the previous episode where uh, Smash, uh, Discord patron Smash, uh, asked me, about personalities and uh, the, the correlation between personalities and fighting styles. If it's interesting, if it was an interesting question, and if your question is uh, interesting enough, I guarantee I'm going to try and answer it as as in-depth as I can. But anyway, I guess that's it for today. Uh, just uh, going to have to buckle up for the torrent of info noise that's uh, inevitably going to follow in the wake of uh, last week's pay-per-view. Not going to preview next week's pay-per-view. It's, it doesn't look all that interesting. Uh, I guess I could... And uh, the next the next event, rather, and the next pay-per-view is going gonna, is gonna to be fucking uh, Cyril Gunn versus Derek Lewis, which is... Uh, uh, what can I say about it, even? What can you say about it? That's my challenge to you. Think of something to say about Lewis versus Gunn. And <laughs> the next the next event this weekend, I guess. <laughs> While we're at it. Alright, that's enough of that. Uh subscribe to everything, check out our website. And uh that's it for today. This has been Tangridom episode fifteen. Uh your host Iggy, in case you forgot somehow. And cheers. Have a good one.